If you want to grab a Bible, if you've got one with you, if you haven't, there's some at the back. You're welcome to go and grab one or grab a phone. And we're going to be reading from Romans 6. It's my favorite chapter of the Bible on baptism. It's great when uh, I got to choose what passage we were doing this week, which is always exciting, but always dangerous when it's preacher's choice. But I won't be too long, don't worry. So if you've got your Bibles open, Romans 6, starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Because for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't really need to say anything, do I? Just read the passage again and again and again. We have a great passage there, don't we? We've not got time this evening uh, to pick up every single thing mentioned there, but what we're going to do is we're going to pick up a few big themes which Paul is trying to convey to us. But I want to start this evening by asking you all a question. I want to ask you, are you alive? Do you really know what life is? So the main point of our passage this evening is that we can live in Christ Jesus because of our union with him. To turn from sin And to follow Christ means receiving his life. Being baptized into the fellowship of believers is about receiving life from Christ. Because up until we come to Jesus, and up until we put our trust in him and allow him to work in our lives, we're dead. The only real life we have is in Jesus Christ. Life from Jesus lived out from now into all eternity. There is nothing 
but good news in this passage in Romans this evening. And what I want to do is I want to break it up into three sections this evening. We're going to look at our understanding of our union with Christ. We're going to go through verses 3 to 10 in that way. Verse 11, we're going to look at separately the reality of our union with Christ. And then in verses 12 to 14, we're going to look at our response because of that union with Christ. So we're going to start verses 3 to 10. So keep your Bibles open, and we're going to think about our understanding, our union with Christ. For the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to the Roman church, his understanding, or our understanding about Jesus was so important for him. The understanding of his original readers about the faith they had was key to how they would then go on to live their lives. I think that's why he wrote so many letters, because he cares about what his believers know about Jesus. Because it's from our knowledge of Jesus, it's about knowing that truth in him, who he is and what he's done for us, that leads us to live out a life of faith. And we see that, don't we, so clearly in this passage. And we see three times in this passage, in verses 3 to 10, Paul asks about what we know. We see in verse 3 where he says, don't you know that? And in verse 6, he mentions we know. And verse 9, he says the same thing again. Paul wants us to know about our powerful, life-giving, sin-conquering union with Christ Jesus. And he does that by speaking about baptism. He uses baptism as a metaphor here for us. I think Paul here tells us about the deep truths about what's happening when we go into the water in baptism, that our life is united with Christ. It's in the waters of baptism we're united with Christ when we make that commitment to following him. We die with Christ. When you go down in the water, you die with Christ. And when you come up again, you have new life in him. We're both united in his death and in his resurrection. So this evening, Emily, you've died with Christ. You've shared in his death. But that also means you've shared in his resurrection, which is the most amazing thing. You're united with Christ, which means you share in his life. You have the life of Christ in you. In fact, the word he uses, that Paul uses in verse 5, for united, actually means to have grown together. It's more of like a botanical term. Uh, It's about two branches being joined together. It's talking about being grafted. Um, And as someone who loves gardening, that's my favorite hobby to do. I find that such a helpful image because when two things are grafted together, when you graft a fruit tree uh, together, it becomes one. See, in baptism, we are united with Christ. We're bound together with him. We are in him and he in us. We are one with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It's amazing, isn't it? I want to encourage you, if there's things you hear I say that you, that I'm saying that you agree with, Respond and give thanks to God as we do it, because it's all amazing truth in this passage. I think often um, when we come to baptism in the Church of England, we think about it primarily often as a joining of the church or a public declaration of faith. But I think this passage doesn't shows us just how important baptism is and why Jesus commands us to do it. 
we see some of the depth of what's happening. And baptism is one of the few commands that Jesus gives us for the church. See, as we go under the water, that physical sign of our cleansing, there's a deep inward grace happening in our hearts. A spiritual change happens. We die with him and we rise to new life in him. That deep union with Christ is formed in us. You might be thinking, um, how can I have died with Jesus when Jesus died 1,989 years ago? You might be thinking, how the heck did that happen? And I love this quote from Archibald Thomas, who's an early 20th century preacher that I think really helps explain it. And he says, our spiritual history begins at the cross. We were there in the sense that in God's sight we were joined to him who actually suffered on it. The time element should not disturb us because if we sinned with Adam, it is equally possible to have died to sin with Christ. I think Paul wants us to become unconsciously aware of this truth so that we can fully live in the resurrection life that God has, us, has for us. To know it so well, so deep down, that we don't even need to think about it because it's just always there for us. So I'm going to ask you again, are you alive today? Do you know the resurrection life of Jesus? And Paul finishes in this, these verses by reminding us that Jesus' death was once and for all. He's coming back to life, a sharing in that life. It's a permanent thing. It's eternal. Jesus can never die again. He died once and once only because when Jesus died, he conquered death. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. So that's verses 3 to 10. That's our understanding of our union with Christ. So Paul moves on in verse 11 to speak of the reality of our union with Christ, what it means for us in real life. And in verse 11, it says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, before we have that union with Christ, the union of our earthly bodies is in a, in a union with sin, with brokenness, with pain, dysfunction, and destruction, but no longer. Our new life is in Christ Jesus. Our union with God means that we are set free from sin. Our old self dies with Christ, and sin no longer has a hold on you. Amen. So when you're struggling with sin, when temptation comes your way, you need to remember that truth that you are no longer a slave to sin. You've been baptized with Christ into his death and raised to new life with him. You live a new life through the power that conquered sin and death upon the cross. And that doesn't mean we're never going to sin. We know we will, don't we? But it does mean that sin does not rule your body. It is not allowed to have a grip upon your life because you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. In baptism, we're received, aren't we, into the body of Christ. And we do publicly declare our faith. We give testimony. That's a really important part of it. But more importantly, our baptism is a baptism 
of repentance. We're baptized into the death of Christ and raised to new life with him. And we receive his forgiveness. Paul wants us to know that truth so much that it becomes a reality to us. He wants us to know it so it just rolls off the tip of our tongue. And I want you to know that too, which is why I keep saying it over and over again, that we're dead to sin and we're alive to Christ. One of my favorite commentators at the moment, um, Kent Hughes, he says about this passage, have you ever taken time to consider the fact that you participated in the events of the cross, that you died and you were resurrected with Christ? If not, why not do it now? This is prevention theology. So much of our time is spent in corrective theology, what to do about when we sin. This is good and necessary, but reflecting our identification with Christ is even better because it curbs our sinning. This reckoning to our account is something we need to do constantly. Keep on counting yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to leave us just a moment of quiet now to consider that, to think about the fact that we participated in the events of the cross. So I'm just going to leave us a moment of quiet before I move on. Think about we participated in the events of the cross. You died with Christ and were raised to new life with him. And finally, our response then, our response because of the union with Christ that we have. I'm going to read verses 12 to 14 again. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So what does it mean then to not let sin reign in our bodies? Well, Paul presents us with two things here. Firstly, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. That means don't let any part of your body sin. Don't let it be an instrument to help sin. Whether that be your tongue, your hands, your feet, or any other part of your body. I'll leave you to fill in the blank there. There could be so many examples of what we mean by that, couldn't there? But I think it's really obvious in some ways what we mean by that. Don't let any part of your body be something that becomes an instrument to sin. And I'm reminded here of the words of Jesus, Matthew 18, where it says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, 
cut it off and throw it away. Verse 9, and if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Paul goes on to speak positively though, doesn't he? He doesn't say to gouge out your eye here. He gives us a solution instead, which is, I think, where Jesus is getting at too. He says, offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So instead of speaking rubbish, lies, foul language, gossip, allow your mouth to become an instrument of praise to God and encouragement to others, something that speaks God's truth. You can fill in the blank with your hands, can't you? Don't let your fists get angry, but raise your hands in praise to God. So when should we do this? When should we not let our body become an instrument of, of wickedness and instead an instrument of righteousness? Should that be a few years after we've come to faith, when we know lots about the Bible and we know how to live as a Christian? No, it's the easy answer there. It's from that very moment that we choose to follow Jesus, where we accept Christ into our hearts, when we say yes to following him, because that's the moment when we die to sin and we take up that new life in Jesus Christ, when we become alive in him. See, because it's for the rest of our lives, from that moment onwards, that the Holy Spirit continues in us, that work of sanctification, that work of making us become more and more like Jesus. So I want to encourage you, when you feel like you're struggling with sin, just speak over yourself that your body is an instrument of righteousness. Say it over and over again, when temptation comes your way, my body is an instrument of righteousness. If you need to set it as the background image on your phone or your laptop or put stickers on your house so you remember it, remember that your body is an instrument of righteousness. I had a friend who wants um, to remember those truths of scripture. He found it often really hard, so he covered his whole house in them. So whenever you walked into his house, the whole thing was full of post-it notes everywhere with the things that he needed to remember to speak over himself. So you go into his bathroom and post-its everywhere, all over the doors of the house. If you need to do the same, do the same thing so that you know that your body is an instrument of righteousness made holy by God. Paul finishes this great section of this letter reminding us again then in verse 14 that sin is no longer our master. We're not under the law, but under God's grace. In everything I've said this evening, I want you to remember that, that you are under God's grace, that God is a God of grace. God extends that grace to each and every one of us. And that's why we have a new life in him. And that's why sin no longer has a grip on you. Because by the grace of God, he's included us in the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So I want to finish now by asking you that same question again that I started with. Are you alive? Do you know the life of Jesus this evening? that life that Jesus gives. If not, come and receive it this evening. Come and receive all that God has for you. Amen.